We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Today we come, Lord, to glorify you. Lord, we come to exalt you and, and Lord, to lift you up and to honor you. Lord, we give you praise because you are God and you are worthy of all honor, all glory, and all praise. And today, God, we pray that you change us into people that would be sold out for Christ, a people that would be effective for the kingdom's work, a people, God, that would truly have a fear in all of God. Help us to know you more each day, Lord. Father, we acknowledge that without you we would be separated. And God, we thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ and the freedom that we have in Jesus. Help us, Lord, as Americans to use this freedom we have to worship freely, to worship you and enjoy and to cherish that we can worship you today without persecution. Lord, you have blessed us, and we pray today that we bless you through our worship and through our teaching of your word. Father, I play, pray that in my inadequacies that you use me and empower me and fill me with the Holy Spirit, that I might speak your truth. We just ask these things in the name of Christ today. Amen. Well, I hope you had a wonderful week this week, one that was refreshing. And that I uh, hope you were able to reflect on last week's message as we've been working through the book of 1 Peter. And last week we looked at Peter's plea for, for holy living and we saw uh, our need for a time of, of preparation, a time of concentration, a time of affirmation, and lastly a time of replication. And we saw that God wants us to be holy and set apart for He is holy. And then we stepped, if you remember, into the indicatives. Out of the imperatives, the commands, the statements into the indicatives, uh, a direct command such as, come here. And so we stepped into the indicatives and we heard the admonishments from Peter to buckle up our bootstraps and be ready and begin to live lives as followers of Jesus Christ, true converted believers. And this week... I think this will help build on what Peter spoke of last week in verses 13 to 16. The outline that we have been working on is, is growing fairly large, and so we're only going to put up one portion of it. But what we've been adding to there is Peter's response to the Christian's salvation. And the first response we saw there to that, to that was Peter's prayer of thanksgiving. We saw his thanksgiving of a living hope, a secure inheritance, and a protected salvation. The second thing we saw in, in the response was Peter's praise of proven faith. A, a faith proven through trials and through rejoicing and through, through praise that ends in results and through faith that ends in love and really love of un, things unseen. And then Last week we saw Peter's plea for holy living, and this week we added Peter's proclamation to fear the Lord. 
And so it looks like we will be dressing the fear of the Lord today in this message. And I hope by the end of it, uh, this message it will be helpful to you and give you a, a greater desire to live unto the Lord. So if you will, let us get right into our text this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 to 21. 1 Peter 1, 17 to 21. If you don't have your Bible this morning, we have it up on the board, so you can just follow along. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. As for a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that you, so that your faith and hope are in God. You know, a major part of this message for me was trying to understand what it means to have a healthy fear of the Lord. This is a a large topic and many people would differ in view of what it means to fear the Lord. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is just take, take you through Scripture and let you see several places for yourself and see what the Bible says about this fear. So let's shoot right into the book of Matthew. Matthew 8, 26. There, if you remember, Jesus is in the boat in the middle of the sea and this major storm comes up and His disciples are scared to death. They're scared out of their mind. And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? We see fear there. Look, the reality is fear can reveal your faithlessness. A sinful fear in the life of a believer really demonstrates or shows his lack of faith and his provision for us as God's children. We see in many places in the Bible uh, that addresses certain types of fear. And so what is it that we are not to fear? Well, the famous passage in Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, I fear no evil. We shouldn't fear evil. How about 1 Peter 3.14? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. We are not to fear intimidations of those who persecute us as Christians. In Mark 5, 35-42, Peter, James, and John are invited to go with Jesus to heal this little girl. And before Jesus went into the home of the the synagogue official to heal this little girl, He said this, He told them, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. You see, we don't need to have a fear of the loss of our loved ones. When we look at Acts 18, 19, it says, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. We need not be fearful to speak the truth and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are taught in several places not to fear certain things. And so how is it 
then you and I can be commanded to fear the Lord. And why should we have a healthy fear of the Lord? Well, we see the Greek word phobos is used 47 times in the New Testament. Phobos is the Greek word used for fear. And listen, as you look through all 47 verses, which I did, you have to determine how that word is used throughout the entire Bible. Okay? Now I'm not going to place all 47 of these on the table, but I'm going to bring up a few that really drew my attention, that, that caught my attention. Because when I think of fear of the Lord, I thought differently than what I see throughout Scripture. And let's start with Matthew 14, 26. He says this, When the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in Phobos, fear. That's the kind of fear that is scary. Matthew 28, it says, The guard shook for Phobos, or fear, of him and became like dead men. This fear caused some kind of shaking and something like paralyzation where they couldn't do anything. Many places, Phobos, or fear, is used in a way that's used of terror, of, of being alarmed or intimidation. And so how... Is it that we understand what Peter is speaking of here when dealing with fear will help us apply the right meaning to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1? I believe many agree as well that Peter is talking here about a reverential awe of God. Not just a ooh, awe kind of feeling, but a reverence for God. A reverence for the Creator of the universe. The One who created you and I as individuals. One that would cause this reverential fear to cause a man to bow down on his knees and worship God. One that would cause a life of holy living. One that would cause you to ponder the effects of doing something you shouldn't be doing. Or one that would simply cause you to live a life of obedience in Christ. Well, here in the book of 1 Peter, Peter uses the word fear, I think, in a reverential awe. And we see in chapter 2, verse 18, in chapter 3, verse 2, in chapter uh, 3, and 14, and 15, he speaks of this respectful behavior. Okay? And this really seems to ring the idea that he's teaching here in his book to portray this fear. I don't have a peop I don't have a problem with people fearing God. I really think that in our day it's missing. It's something that we need to look at and understand. And sometimes even in my own life I have a lack of fear of God. We have some kind of disconnect between us as individuals and who God really is. You know, I was in a mall one day and a guy had on his shirt, Jesus is my homie. Now to me, that's not a reverential all of God. We've created, we've made God some buddy. And yes, He's our Father, He's our Heavenly Father. But when we think of the fear of the Lord, Jesus is not our homie. We don't see the effects of God like we did in the Old Testament. 
We don't even see and understand when, when God's wrath is poured out on us today in our world. But knowing the Old Testament and reading it and understanding and seeing the actions of God throughout those books of the Old Testament should give us enough respect for God, a God that wipes people off the face of the earth because of disobedience. We need to have a healthy fear of God in our day, a fear that will cause us holiness and righteous living. Fear can be portrayed in different ways, but here Peter, I think he's teaching us about fear that brings about action or reverence of God. And just really prior to this portion of Scripture in verses 13 to 16, we looked about living holy lives because God Himself calls us to do that for He is holy. And this brings us to our first point this morning. We must fear the Lord. We must have a respect, a reverential all of God. He says here in verse 17, If you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay here on earth. The first imperative that we have is here. It says that if we're going to pray to the Father, the one who judges each one of us equally, then conduct yourselves in fear. That's the command He's given us. Conduct yourselves in fear. You know, Peter really knows how to pray. They were taught well and so were we. Those in the Old Testament prayed and they called God Father then. And Peter and, and all of those in the New Testament called God Father in the New Testament. It wasn't nothing unnormal. We see in Psalms 89.26 it says, He will cry to me, You are my Father, my God, the rock of my salvation. And then in the New Testament, the perfect teacher Jesus, He taught them and us as well how to pray personally when He taught us about the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. We need to learn to pray to God as our Father. Now I don't know about you, but as I look at my relationship with my father as a child, as a young man, I had a reverential fear of my father. I had a respect in my father. I didn't do things for certain reasons because I knew it would upset him. And so I had this personal relationship with my father, and that's what we should have with our Father in heaven. He's our Daddy, Abba, Father. We need to pray to Him as Father, as a dad who loves us and cares for us. A father that goes through trials with us. And that has a plan of making you glorified at the finish line. Listen, don't be ashamed to call God Father. But if you do call Him Father, we need to know that this God that we call Father is the same God that judges as well. Peter is simply saying this, if you are praying to the to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God, we have intimately called Father, then this is the one true God that also impartially judges according to each one's work. You see, really, in the life, the scheme of life, you can be a doctor, you can be a plumber, you can be a superstar in the NFL, 
or a professional PGA Tour golfer or any other sport you can think of. Or you can be a regular Joe that goes to work every day and he works his tail off just to get by. And to God you will both be judged by your works in the very same way. God doesn't pick sides. You take God as Father, you take Him as judge as well. You and I both will be judged based off of our works that we do and God doesn't play favorites. The reality is at the point when we stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you and everyone else will be on the same playing field, whether rich or poor, whether Jew or Gentile, whether slave or master. You will have no more value than I and I no more than you. It's true and we will be judged with the same criteria. You could say that we worship a God, a God that is... Uh, a God of equal opportunity. No amount of personal gain will bring you closer to God. God will only care to see what stands the test of fire. Every good deed we've done, every benefit we've been a part of, every work we've ever done must stand the test of fire. And He will only care about what's been done in His name and for His glory. And you know, many times... And probably I'm guilty of it myself as we do things for our own glory. So that we can feel good about ourselves and check it off a list. We've done this or we've done that. When God only cares really and genuinely what is in the heart. Here's the imperative. If you do all of this, pray to the Father and understand that He judges equally, that He is a God of equal opportunity, Peter then commands, conduct yourselves in fear during your time on earth. If you are here this morning and listen, and you don't believe in God, you don't have a fear of God, you don't have a reverential understanding of who He is, then you're not expected to understand this. But I hope, by the time we finish this, you as an individual will understand there is none righteous, no, not even one. There is none who understands, no one who seeks after God. For all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are an open grave and their tongues they keep deceiving the poison of vipers under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are their paths. In the paths of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. <coughs> no fear describes a sinful man. Without Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you are in bondage to sin and unfearful. And I hope this morning that God will somehow, some way, touch your heart, regenerate your heart, draw you to Himself, that you can be fearful of this God we worship. You see, to have fear of God is important. We should fear God. Well, Stuart, God is a God of love, a God of compassion, a God of mercy, a God of grace. We shouldn't fear God. 
we must fear God because of His nature. Revelation 15.4 says, Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Revelation 14.7 also says, He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. We fear God because of His nature. We fear God because of His words. Throughout the Bible we see many places tell us that we must fear God. Deuteronomy 6.24 says, So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our, good, for our good always, for our survival as it is today. Isaiah 8.7, It is the Lord of hosts whom you shall regard as holy, and He shall be your fear, and He shall be your dread. Proverbs 23.17 Do not let the heart do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. First Peter 2.17 says, Honor all people, live in brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We fear God because of his word. We see time and time again, those who fear the Lord are those who live righteous lives. We see those who fear the Lord obey Him. We see those who fear the Lord pray to Him and they serve Him. They teach others to fear Him, such as Psalm 34.11. Come, you children, listen to me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. God will restore those that fear Him. In Malachi 4.2 those that fear Him, will He will reward them in Revelation 11.8. Not only will He reward them, He sustains them in Psalm 34.9 and Psalm 111.10. There is just no doubt throughout the Bible we study that we must not fear the Lord. Do you fear the Lord today? Do you have a reverential awe the fear of God in your life? Does your faith affect, does your fear affect the way you live? You know, as I was studying this morning, I wanted to give a good example of healthy fear. And, I, and for some reason I thought of something that happened to me as I was a child and I was at my mother's house one summer morning and I had some friends that were down the street playing in the backyard. And I came up with this genius idea that I was going to go down to their house, sneak through the woods, and scare them. And so it was about 90 degrees, humid as all get out. I had my pants and my long sleeve shirt on. And I walked down the street and I saw them through the woods and I said, I'm going to get them. And I cut off through and I got down in the ditch and I started walking. But something happened. As I was walking, I got stung by a bee. And I looked, and I swatted them. And then I got stung again, and I swatted them, and looked down. They were all over me. And so, buddy, let me tell you, the scare was on me. I turned around, and I ran back home, and I got stung 21 times on the way back to the house. My life experience gave me a great, great respect for bees. 
And still today at 34 years old, I do not like bees. I respect them. I have a different respect for bees. But let me ask you this. How much more respect should I have for the God who created them? My respect for bees changed the way I live. I don't turkey hunt in South Carolina. I don't turkey hunt in Montana when I don't walk through the woods and watch where I'm going. I don't sit down on a tree without making sure there's not a hole in the ground with bees coming out of it. It's affected the way I live. And this is how our fear of God should be in our lives. I have a respect for bees. A bee can fly right here. I'm not going to scream, but I'm not going to play with them because I know He can sting me. You know, I know the God of the universe. Though I've never seen His wrath poured out onto me, I've seen what He's done in the Old Testament, and I know He's not a God to be played with. And my fear of God should build a respectful lifestyle to live holy. While fear in the Lord is very important in our walk, it's just as important that we understand and remember the price that was paid. Point number two. We must remember the price that was paid. Holy living and following the commands of God is vital in our walk with God. And while we struggle with fearing God sometimes, it will really help us if we remember and recall the price that was paid for you and I. 18 says, Knowing that you were redeemed, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver, or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your fathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You know, this verse starts out with the word knowing, and I think that brings out a great point here. It's assumed that these people knew what redeemed them. If you're here today and you're not sure what redemption means, you're not sure how it was that you were saved, this message is for you. But those that are here that understand redemption, you understand what saves you, you believe in Jesus Christ, there's a lesson for you. It's a reminder. It's a reminder. And that's what Peter's doing. He's reminding them how they were redeemed. First off, what in the world... Does it mean to have redemption or to be redeemed? Well, I want to make this as simple as possible because I don't want to confuse anybody when it comes to redemption. If you recall, Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, we inherited this sin nature from them. Romans 5.12 tells us, Therefore, just as through one man sinned into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned, we therefore have a death sentence. We've been infiltrated with death because of sin. And therefore, you and I and everyone are sinners infected with a sin virus, so to speak. And being that we are sinners, we are in bondage to this sin and to Satan, the ruler of this world. And we are, need, we are in need of someone to provide a ransom, so to speak so that we can be removed from the bondage or captivity of this sin or of Satan. Peter's making it clear that, listen, no material matter redeemed us 
or set us free. No silver, no gold, no item of value that is perishable can pay our debt, our ransom that is owed to God. These things are without inherent, but if they are not of enough value to pay the price of freedom in our lives. Look, we know that we are children of God, most of us. I would say most of you understand and know that you are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one, the, the devil, Satan, the tempter, whatever you want to call them. And Peter understands and feels that he must remind these people, these believers, that they were not bought with earthly valuables. Peter is about to let everybody know that this redemption only comes through what? The precious blood of Jesus. Look, we are called captives, all of us at some point in our lives. And no matter what you've done, what you're doing, what you're going through, no matter how bad life gets, this precious blood can pay your debt. Though you may have been a slave to sin, though you may be one right now, you may be enslaved to the either one, the devil, but before you leave, you can become alive in Christ, is what it says in Hebrews 5.12. And if you can be brought back into a relationship with God, you can be reconciled back to God and have God as your friend today. You're separated in need to take your trust and place it in the one that came on your behalf and made it possible for you to be set free from the bondage and captivity of Satan and sin. It wasn't silver or gold, but it was with precious blood. As of, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What a wonderful song that is, and so true. Christ redeemed us from the cure of the law and by becoming a curse for us. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It was Jesus that satisfied this great debt, this wrath of God, that we might become righteous. That we might live holy and acceptable lives to the Lord. Listen, we can walk around claiming Father in Heaven without walking around holy in Christ. We can claim Christianity all day long, but that doesn't make us Christian. I can say I'm a duck, but that don't make me a duck. How do we know? James says, test your faith. Test it. It was the blood, the perfect Son of God, that died for you and for me. Look, it says here in this passage that for He was... Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Some of you this morning may have inherited this lifestyle. 
separated. You, you maybe weren't brought up in a Christian home. You maybe didn't see the effects of a holy living family. And you may have been dealt an empty life from your mother and father. You may live without a purpose, without fruit, without meaning. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to be bound up in that lifestyle any longer. You don't have to be... You, you have been bought with a price and your debt has been paid and Christ has become your Redeemer. So stop living outside of the will of God and stop doing unholy things and stop trying to complete the task of perfection and place your trust in the only one that paid the price for your freedom and that's Jesus Christ. We need to stop playing games as Christians and begin to glorify our King, our Lord, our love. We must fear the Lord because a healthy fear of the Lord transforms our lives into living holy for Him. We must remember the price that was paid because when we remember the price that was paid, it makes it all worth it, suffering for Christ, which is what these people are going through. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ who died on this cross. We hang this cross up as a remembrance of what Jesus Christ did. But every day when we live in our community, we need to remember what Jesus Christ did. And we need to have a healthy fear of God which will help us share the gospel of Jesus Christ because we understand this is our purpose in life. But lastly, we must understand why He appeared. We saw the idea of redemption in verse 18 and 19. And how that price was paid. And here in the next few verses we're going to see the idea of revelation. It says in verse 20 and 21, For He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in the last, these last times for the sake of you, whom through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. As we recall back to verse uh, 2, um, we're reminded of the doctrine of election, predestination based off the foreknowledge of God. And here Christ was chosen before the foundations of the world and predestined for a work to be done. It was in the mind of God to redeem mankind, to give us freedom in Christ before the world was ever put together. It was God's plan. And here Christ we see chosen early on in the ministry of God. This redemption was part of God's eternal plan. In 1.7 we recall Peter speaking of the, the revelation of Christ to come, if you remember. And then we see later in the book, in chapter 4, verse 7, when he says the end is near. It seems to be the heart cry of Peter. And he seems to push the idea throughout this entire book. That this revelation of Christ has come. Jesus has appeared in the last time, I believe, speaks of more than just a single moment. His coming to earth because Jesus came in the fullness of time which at that time was perfect to save those 
who would believe in His name. Don't miss that. Times is in the plural. And therefore, I think it's speaking of all times. From His birth onward. All this was done for you and for me. He was, came in the flesh, as John uh, 1.14 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was born of a child. He lived a sinless life. And He did all of that for you and for I. He has shown us His revelation and has revealed to us through His Word and through the lives of His people. And in verse 21, we see His resurrection. You see, God raised Christ from the dead. And whether people believe it or not, that is a major doctrine of the Christian faith. Though God raised Him from the dead, He glorified Him and gave Him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What will you do with a Jesus that died for you? It was given for our sake. What will you do with a Christ? What will those do that are in Christ that claim to be followers of Jesus? This is, this is, this is the message. The message is for us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. So many times as we walk through our Christian faith, we come into the church, we think this time is for unbelievers. This is where we need... It's my job to share the gospel. We bring them in, I share the gospel, they get saved, they live holy lives. We've got it wrong. This is the time for us as believers and followers of Christ to sharpen one another. So that we can live holy. Why? So we can make an impact in the community. It's our job to get out of these seats, go into the community, and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to those people out there. And here is the time that we can encourage one another. We can teach and preach God's Word. And though sometimes every message is not the best one in the world, we can learn something for it. And this morning, I want you to understand, this is the message. What are we doing, those that are in Christ? Those that claim to be followers of Christ? Is it only Sunday morning in small groups? Is that our lifestyle? And we never make a peep to anybody in the world about Jesus Christ? We call Him Father, and we understand that He judges impartially. He's a God of equal opportunity. But do we remember the price that was paid? When we go out there, I can tickle your ears all day long and make you feel good and powerful. That's not my desire. My desire is to preach so that you will be ready and equipped to go out there and share your faith and defend it among those who don't know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Will you begin to live as God wants you to live, as He calls you to live today? You know, when I first came here, we gave out 
you know, business cards for the church, invitation cards, flyers. And it was, a, it was an exciting time as I saw people in the community. But now that we're in the 11th month, things are slowing down. People are growing weary. And my admonishment to you today is don't grow weary. Remember the price that was paid for you. You were bought with a price. Your life is not your own. And therefore we're called to be holy and set apart and proclaim Jesus Christ and crucified. Because we love Jesus Christ. It's the only thing in our life that matters. No material possession, no silver, no gold, nothing. Only the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out for us. Will you begin to live lives in which God calls you? When we look at what Peter is saying here, he's saying, fear the Lord. And if you claim to know the Father, then think about the price that was paid and why He appeared to you. He appeared for our purpose, for us, for our good, so that we could be set free. It was for you that we might be holy. You know, Peter has talked about it in 13 and 16, and now he's finishing in 17 to 21. Listen. The statement is, be holy, for He is holy. And it's a reaffirmation of what we see in 13 and 16. Submit to your King. Begin to live a life with a reverential fear of God. For those who fear Him, listen, will glorify Him. Will you this morning commit your life to Jesus Christ as you've never committed it before? My desire for this church is to be a church that is impactful for the cause of Jesus Christ. I don't care about what happens. I want people to share their faith in the community. And not only in this community, in this county, and in this state, and in this country, and across the world. That's my hope for us. And you, you know, there's empty seats everywhere. I don't know where everybody's at, but that's not my concern. My concern is that we fill them. That we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And when we do that out there, God will bring them in here. That's the only way we can fill the seats. We can't fill it with music, with entertainment, with attraction, with a marketing scheme. Mind, We need to preach the Gospel there. And listen... I'm not the only preacher of the gospel. Everyone is. It's not my job to proselytize this whole community. We are to do it together for the love of Jesus. And we're to encourage one another. And when the door slammed in your face, we want to stand there and say, Brother, don't fear those who persecute you. Keep right on, go to the next one. My love for you guys is enormous. And my hope is that we can reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. One life at a time. But it begins right there in your seat. And it begins with the fear of the Lord. That we live holy before a people that don't. I wonder sometimes if we just live without direction and without hope without understanding. We just go through the regular things of mundane life. God has given us a purpose, folks. He's given us a direction. And He spells it out in His Word. 
what we are to do. And the question is, are we doing it? Are we doing it? Are you doing it? Only you can answer that. And if you're sitting there this morning, you go, I have no idea what God wants me to do. Let's begin to pray about what God would have you do. What ministry He would have you be a part of. How you can serve in this church. There are many things that are needed within this body. Many souls that need to be encouraged, strengthened. And there's ministries waiting on people to minister to this body and to the community. And I want to encourage you to do that today. Get involved. Find out how it is. Because we don't want to live a life just wandering around from the next success. Uh, let's just play this sport and then when we get done we'll play this sport and, and then we get done with this sport and we play this sport and then we look back at our life and we go, well, I played this sport but I never shared the gospel. I played this sport but I never shared the gospel. I played this sport and I never shared the gospel. And then we come to the end of life and go, what did I do for the sake of Christ? Because we were being judged equally for the work we've done. Ask God to show you a healthy fear of Him. For those that are not in Christ, you can know Him today in the mercy and the grace that He's brought forth the cross of Jesus Christ. If you feel that the Holy Spirit has called you to a relationship with Him today, don't ignore it. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And for those that are in Christ, today would be a good day to bow your heads and pray in repentance and say, God... Make me into the man you want me to be and rededicate your life in Christ. So that when we walk out of these doors, we make an impact in the community for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Believe in Jesus Christ today in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Let us pray.